you know, you listen to that song, you said, there's uh, count joy in every battle, because you know that's where he'll be. Uh, For those of you who had time to walk through life and struggle through life, you find such beauty in that. So here I am, all teary before I even start. Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment. Let's submit underneath the authority of the Lord. Oh God, I, I truly, I, uh, I can't wait to, to see you. Well, how awesome it is to hear the songs of, like uh, the water being held back by you. You're just awesome, and how so many men and women throughout the Old Testament and even New Testament fought in the battle. And you were there, even when they didn't understand. And now when I think of Joseph and what we're getting ready to embark upon, Lord, I I pray that you would reach into our hearts. As you say, you have your Holy Spirit here to convict us of sin, of your righteousness, and the judgment that is to come. Let us submit underneath your authority, O Lord. Let your words be spoken, not mine. Because of your son, Jesus, so I submit my life to you. Amen. Okay. You may not know me. That's okay, I don't know you. (laughs) The reality, I grew up in East Tennessee, so it is very likely as I will use the wrong words. Dyslexic. um, My wife is here to help me with the wrong, uh, what are those phrases I use? I use past tense in the wrong spot and presence tense and all this, that, and the other in the, wrong, in the wrong spot. If you guys can get past that and just dig into the message, I think there's much that is here for you. Is that cool? When I think of one word, when you think of a word, just think of this word for a moment, betrayal. Think of that word. This is a good opportunity to take notes and let God speak to your heart. When I say the word betrayal, what comes to your mind? It's often, we think of things like infidelity, but it's so much more than that. Think about a parent who walked out on their family, a child who often stays lost in their sin. Think about the one who sits homebound, who sits desperately waiting for someone to come and visit who feels betrayed. A job maybe looked over, passed, ignored, financially taken advantage of? Or how about God himself? When you say, I don't understand, I don't get it. Can you imagine where Joseph's at? All the things that's happened to Joseph. I don't understand God. Feeling betrayed. There's so many words, so many life circumstances that go around that word. Isn't it strange that so often that those that, quite frankly, we love the most and we trust the most, hurt us the most. See, betrayal really is when your trust is violated. There is no betrayal without trust. If you think about it, you know, Hitler, I love history, but Hitler, mean dude. But he didn't betray the Jews. There was really no trust there. But when you think about someone like Jesus, you think about someone like Peter or Judas, close to him, he felt the pain associated with that because really the foundation, of course, is trust. There is no violation 
of, tr- of trust, or be- there isn't betrayal without the viola- violation of trust. It has to be there. Look at chapter 37. If you went back to chapter 37, you would see this. Michael pe- preached a few weeks ago on abandonment. Some of you guys remember that. It touched some of your hearts because you kind of identified with that word, feeling abandoned. And there's a tendency that goes along with that, which is a feeling of, woe is me, right? You're trying to struggle through, gosh, I don't understand, and self-pity, and it's not right. But when you think about betrayal, it's different, isn't it? What's the emotion associated with betrayal? I'm going to get you back. Who knows what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, you hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you worse. As a matter of fact, not only am I going to pay you back, I'm going to pay you back with interest. It's not good enough just to get someone back, if you know what I'm saying. Betrayal. This morning, Joseph is going to come face to face with his betrayers. Face to face. Just imagine that. Face to face with his bloodline, the very people who sold him into slavery. I wonder what he's going to do. A bigger question is, what would you do? Pause for a moment and think about that. I don't think any of us can get it. Let's pause for a moment and open our Bibles to Genesis 42. And I would love to say that I can actually see this still, but I can't. Even though I've got the large print, it doesn't work very well. Unless I wear these things. It's, uh, it's quite embarrassing, but I have crossed the line. Let's read through some of these things. Chapter 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may not live, that we may live and not die. Now think about that for a moment. Why do you look at each other? I mean, I, I mean, trust me when I tell you, I have read this a lot and pondered every word. And I've thought to myself, why do you look at each other? Why did they look at each other? Have you guys thought about that for a moment? So clear uh, context, what's proper context? 20 years has passed. Uh, here they are, in a, there's been a great seven years of feast. You guys know that, right? Lots of grain, more than you can imagine, man. Feet kicked up, all's going really, really well. Then a famine comes. I don't know how that famine thing works. I'm guessing you probably like make it your first year. The prize pig you took to the FFA fair or whatever it was. You're like, too bad, man. Time to eat you. Done with that. All your resources, you know what I'm talking about? They're all gone. Is it year number two? I don't know. Is it year number three? But eventually, you're at the point where it says, why are you not doing something? We're at a point of life and death. I mean, it's a point of desperation. And here, there's, there's the brothers. There's 11 of them standing there looking at one another. Can you imagine? I mean, from a father's perspective, trust me when I say I can understand this, right? Why are you not in the car yet? I don't understand. Why did you not get your stuff to go off to school? I don't understand. But here, are the, these are adults, I'm guessing, at this point. Why are you standing here looking at me? Now, pause for a moment. Why do you think that was? Think about that for a moment. Why do you think that was? See, if I'm thinking to myself, well, there's a couple practical reasons. Number one, it's about 300 miles away. I did the Google thing. If I wanted to walk from Cairo up to uh, Capernaum area, uh, it's uh, like 550 miles. I'm like, wow, that's super, super far. I'm guessing they probably took the sea route route along the water's edge and not down through the Sinai Peninsula. And I was was trying to, so it's at least 300 miles. How many of you guys have recently walked 300 miles? (laughs) 
I mean, we're talking like uh, 300 miles. So we're talking a minimum of six weeks round trip in the heat, in the sun. But I think, I think that may be a little bit of it. 20 years. As you go into the text, you begin to realize there is a deep sense of regret and guilt associated with the word Egypt. Would you agree? It is. Now, the silly, how many of you guys have done something wrong? Silly statement. We've all, that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to confess right now, but you get the point. There's generally, we, and we live with an ongoing sense of regret. So often that we stuff it, we don't want to go there, we don't want to think about it, we don't want to be a part of that, no way. I'd say the word Egypt has something to do with that. The very fact that we sold our brother into slavery. And then I want you to relive that for the next 20 years by which you, you know you're accountable for his blood. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and dad's like, yo, why aren't you going to Egypt? I don't understand. They're saying, hey, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. We're go- Egypt, I, I don't want to relive that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to feel that. No way. Of course, dad wins. Get out of here. Get out of here. Go get us some food. If you look at verse 3, let's look at that for a moment. And so, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, the 10, you guys get it right. Jacob, 12 sons, one's dead, Joseph. Not really. One's dead. And then there's Benjamin. If you understand the context of the Bible and you read it and you spend time with that, you're going to understand that Jacob had, in essence, two wives, Rachel and Leah, and then two handmaidens by which he had 12 sons. And so, but there's, there's some favoritism going on here. What? I love Joseph. Go back and read that story. Who gives like one of 12 like a special coat? I mean, it's not like, like, a, like a camouflage green where you wouldn't even notice it. It's like striped rainbows, beautiful. He's like, I'm going to give this to my favored son. And then, okay, we got to speak to ourselves here. And then who does it again? And not that he gave a coat, but what is he saying right here? It's like, you can, you 10 go, I know it's a dangerous journey, 300 miles. It's likely one of you are going to die. That's cool. I mean, it's likely you're going to be robbed. I hope you make it. Uh, It's going to be really tough. It's going to be hot. It's going to be, your feet are probably going to be really, they're going to hurt. Man, Man, I'm just hoping you make it back. But whatever, I'm not sending Benjamin. Reliving the very mistakes that we live, that we made. It's so funny that we look at people like Joseph and say, man, that guy's an idiot. In reality, we're the idiots. We are no different. Go to verse 6. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold all the people in the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. Pause right there. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. You've got got to transition. You've got to transition into Joseph's shoes right now. Pause for a moment. Let's go through this. What did you, remember this? What's What's the context of this? He comes from a dysfunctional family, his dad. Right? His family messed up straight up. His brothers intended to kill him. How many of you guys remember, if you were here for the previous chapters, you'd remember things like, 
Like he was thrown in a pit and there was no water. Why, why do you think God wrote that down? Because the, f- I mean, I'm just guessing every day you have water. You like, like I like water and I want to drink it. It's like a round. But the moment you go for 12, 24, 36, 48 hours without water, there is a deep sense of desperation. And do you remember what it was here? Then imagine this. You're thrown in the pit. No water. How do you think it felt when his bros were like, yo, I'm going to kill you? And then like Reuben runs into there and says, no, no, no. Let's sell him to the, or Reuben didn't actually, Simon. But the other brothers, Reuben was gone. Hey, I got a better idea. We're going to sell him to the Ishmaelites. But you know what? We're going to sell him cheap. And the Ishmaelites, by the way, were some of his extended family. We're going to sell him to our extended family. And then from there, they go and sell him again. Uh, They sell him again to the Midianites. Now, really, none of us have experienced this. The feeling of being sold, separated from the ones that I love, taken from my homeland. Have you guys thought about that for a moment? The place of security and safety, of comfort, your, your favorite sushi restaurant, you know what I'm saying? You're taken from your homeland. And then from there, what did it feel like the first time they put chains on your wrist and your ankles? And you're going down a bumpy road or on a camel or a cart, whatever they took you in, and it begins to rub into, and blood begins to come from your ankles and your arms and the sense of desperation. Do you guys get what I'm saying? We do not get this by any means. Betrayal. What is the hurt that has happened in his heart when he's thrown into, when he's put up for auction? None of us had experienced that, right? Put up for auction. How much are you going to go for? Sold to the Egyptians. Things to be, seem to be going the right way. He's like, yo, the captain of the guard, man. I'm in on the deal. God's favor. He puts him in the captain of the guard, Tauf Potiphar. Things are looking good, but what happens? Wife comes along. Hey, babe, you know, hey, you're looking good. Runs away. Thrown back into the prison. How about the cupbearer? How many of you guys remember this one? He's down in the pit. You got the, the captain. You've got the, uh, the baker and the cupbearer. Has, has some dreams. And he said, listen, when I, when, I'm going to tell you the interpretation. And when you get placed back in front of Pharaoh, would you say some good things about me? What do you think the cupbearer uh, cup said? No problem. I promise. I will for sure. No problem. I got it. I got it. I, I, I will. I will. I will. And then it turned into what? I, I won't. I won't. I won't. And I forgot all about you. And then even when you entered the text last week, the very first line is very deep in chapter 41. It says, two whole years. The period of time that passes by which he's, and we haven't done this. Have you ever been imprisoned? Maybe some of you, but even in American prisons, it is nothing. I visited Israel. I've seen some of the Middle Eastern prisons where you're thrown in a hole, and I love history, and I'm just guessing. Matter of fact, when you look in the text and they pull him out in front of Pharaoh in the next chapter and they clean him up to interpret the dream. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm guessing the beard and the hair is long and there's lice and there's filth and there's dirt and finally things go the right way and he, he, gets, he interprets the, the dreams for Pharaoh. Do you guys remember last, last week? He interprets it now. Now he's the kingpin. He's the second in charge of the greatest empire of the world. He's got a couple of wives. He has some children. 
You guys remember the children? Manasseh, chapter 41, verse 51. If you look that up, you'll see Manasseh. What did he say about his son Manasseh? He said, he said I'm going to, um, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh for, he, he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. Here he is at the moment by which he stuffed it away. The pain, the hurt, the betrayal. And right now, something happens. Can you imagine this? What if it was you? Think about your deepest hurt. Think about your greatest betrayal. What would you do if you could do anything you wanted and no one knew? Isn't that crazy? If you thought about that, what would that be like? What's Joseph going to do? It's interesting because what he did do is he said he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. I'd say that's a far cry from the way I would have responded. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. You know, you think his vengeance as sweet. Think about this for a moment. You get to do anything you want, and no one does. See, that's, I'm not the king, you know what I'm saying? But if you were the king, you're not the king, you're not Pharaoh, but you're like, Really, if Pharaoh, if he said, yo, I just let you know, I, I chopped off a few dudes' heads today, do you think Pharaoh would have cared? Literally, ultimate power with no recourse. That's the situation he's in. But it's really vengeance is sweet if they don't know it's you, or think about this for a moment. Are you actually guilty uh, if you don't get caught? Are you guilty if no one knows, or no one knows who did it? And Joseph remembered the dreams. A striking word here. He remembered the dreams. That he had dreamed of them and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. What dreams is he remembering? How do you guys remember this? What dreams? Chapter 37. You go back and look at that chapter. You're going to have to reread the story of Joseph. Chapter 37. He gets all, he has this dream. He gets all his bros around. He's like, you're not going to believe it. By the way, there's probably a different way to approach this. But he gets his bros around. He's not going to believe this. You guys, we don't even know what she's are, right? Like, what's a sheath? None of us come from an agricultural background for the most part. They're out in the wheat fields creating bundles of wheat. He's like, I had this dream. That my, all, we were all out here together, and you were putting all together your, your she's, and they were all bowing down to me. Uh, that creates relational strife, in case you don't know. <laughs> he remembered the dreams that he had had. Here's what's interesting 20 years has passed. He had experienced God. Would you guys agree with me on that? He'd experienced his favor, he'd experienced his power, he'd experienced his deliverance, he'd experienced his miracles, his peace, his presence, no doubt about it. Did he ever wonder if God's promises were going to remain true? Because it wasn't like this dream thing was like a, a LSD hallucination, you know what I'm saying? This was the Lord showing him absolute truth. The question was, at what point do you give up? Have you guys ever thought of that? At what point do you give up on God's faithfulness? At what point? Clearly it was difficult because, you know, I just read you 5151. 
What did he say? What did he name his child? Manasseh. He's like, I'm past that, man. I forgot. God has made me forget all of that. The years of pain and hurt. Let's look at verse 10. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. He's like, he's like, you're here to spy on us. It's like, no, I'm not. We're here to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. That's interesting, isn't it? That's kind of funny. Maybe I shouldn't laugh in church. I don't know how that works. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no. It's the nakedness of the land that you have come, you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and, no one, and, and one is no more. So what is their mindset? Egypt. Egypt. You sell someone to slavery? Just in case you guys don't know, generally, slaves don't have the greatest life in the world. When you think about even Moses and the building of bricks and the toil in the mud and go collect your own straw and the whippings and the beating. You guys get in the context here? So they realize, hey, listen, when we send bro off to Egypt and we get our 20 shekels of silver, it's game over. He's dead. Yep, I can see that. And the one brother is no more, but Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Thoughts came through my head. Why did he want to see his youngest brother? Huh, that's interesting that God wrote that down. Why do you want, what, what's the biggest deal? Well, you guys know how this works, right? Uh, four moms, a bunch of step siblings, but he's got one blood brother. I would say accurately, he, there was a tie there. But you know what else I thought to myself? Why was he, say, he said this, you will be tested if your words are true. How did he even know if they were telling the truth? He didn't know. Would it be reasonable under the favoritism of dad that why didn't they go back home and just sell, sell Benjamin as well? Uh, he was sold to Egypt, got 20 shekels of silver. He hated the strife and the uh, favoritism going on in the home. I thought to myself, well, shucks, yeah. My bro, my close brother that I love, you guys sold me downstream. You're, he wasn't around. So he's the only one that didn't betray me. How do I know that you didn't go back home and sell him too? He didn't know. I will test your words. You're staying here until I see my brother. Look at this next thing, verse 16. I think it's interesting because it said, send one of you and let, let him be... Uh, um, let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there's truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies they put them all together in custody for three days now think about this for a moment three days what was he doing for three days have you thought about that right here you are at the moment there before you your greatest betrayer the one that has hurt you the most you can do anything you want and not get in trouble for it. What do you do? What do you do? For three days, he goes away. Okay, you got to help me out here. Uh, this is the first time I'm reading this. You got to help me out here. I'm just kidding, by the way. 
what did he do for three days? I thought to myself, what did they say to him? What did they say to him? Yeah, we are honest men. Can you imagine you wait for 20 years to even the pain associated, you want to be reunited with your family? What's the very first thing I'm going to hear from my family? Oh, we are honest men. You're like, can you imagine seeing him stomp around in his castle? Honest men, honest men, honest men. Oh, honest men. Oh, oh. You guys know what I'm talking about, the fighting on the inside? What are you going to do? Can you imagine all the things that are going through his mind? Like the watching Criminal Minds on Netflix and all the torture things he could do? Just in case you didn't know, Netflix and and Criminal Minds didn't happen 3,000 years ago. But nonetheless, all the things going on in his mind. What can I do? What can I do? Oh, the building projects. Uh, oh, yeah, we, you remember those pyramid things we've been building out there for Ra, Sun, God, and all the, yeah, all the fake gods? And uh, I'm going to build one on top of them. I mean, what, what was going through their mind? If you could do anything you wanted to do and didn't get caught, what would you do? Right here is the moment where faith, where faith uh, uh, collides with, God, with, with the temptation of your flesh. That's really what happens right here. For three days, can you imagine for three days? Uh, How would sleeping be going? Uh, Not super great, I'm just guessing. How would the the wrestle of your flesh be going? How How many tears would you have? You would be angry and and fighting and mad and saying, God, I want to get them back. Why can't I get them back? Don't you remember what they did to me? I mean, really, what would you be saying? I'm just telling you what I'd be doing. I'd be stomping around. For three days, I would be wrestling with my flesh. (laughs) See, the real testing of our faith is seeing how we respond to hurt when no one knows. That's the real test right there. How you and I respond to things like betrayal, abandonment, hurt, when no one else knows. When I can do anything, say anything, act anyway, do anyway, do anything I want. Because I'm only accountable to one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Real faith, that's where, that's where it inter, inter, intersects, right there. It really literally is the battle of the flesh and the spirit. For those of you who know Jesus, for those of you who know him, you understand what I'm talking about. Look at Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. It says, but I say walk by the spirit. Interesting that it says walk by the spirit. It is literally a choice And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the very things you want to do. Who knows what I'm talking about? For those of you who do not know Jesus, quite frankly, you've never submitted your life under his authority. You've never given your life away. There's only one thing that guides you. It's your sinful nature. That's it. You don't, have this, you don't have this deep wrestling between the spirit of God that dwells in you that says no, obey, forgive, submit, and the flesh that says I will get you back, but I will get you back with interest, and I will not forgive until you, until you say you're sorry 10 times. I mean, it is literally, there's this battle waging war within your soul. And if you look at this, I mean, what would Jesus say? This is where Jesus intercepted, just, in, just in, injected himself into this world. He, uh, he, he just, he, 
look at Matthew 7, 12. I, Jesus is like awesome. So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them. That is not what my flesh would say. What would my flesh say? Whatever you do to me, do also to, I do also to you. I mean, that was terrible English, like I talked about at the very beginning, right? It is literally 1 Earl 121. Do to others as they do to you. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. I'm not forgiving you until you say you're sorry first. Who knows what I'm talking about? That is literally the battle of the flesh that we are wrestling with. If you push me down, I'm pushing you down. And then I'm going to sit on you. Funny story here. You can see these pictures up on the screen. These are two of my little babies. Two of my babies. The one on the left is my little Kelsey Joy. We, we had blessed with four children in four years, and uh, they're all grown up now. As a matter of fact, a couple of them are here now, and Kelsey, who's my beautiful little one there, is all grown up right here. Uh, 18, 19, 20, and 21, to make it simple. And um, they were little. And Kelsey, I have to tell you, if you meet my daughter ever, she's one of the sweetest girls you'll ever meet in your entire life. Truly tender-hearted, loving, compassionate. She just got back from six months in Haiti, uh, serving the poor and needy and getting sick in every capacity. And I won't go into the details of that, probably not appropriate. But nonetheless, exception, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But I have to tell you, when she was little, she was mean. <laughs> Straight up, she was just mean. There came this other little one uh, named Connor, my son, 11 months apart. And whenever he tried to walk, uh, she would push him down. And she, he would try to walk and she would push him down and then she would sit on him. And he would squeal like a stuck pig. I mean, he would squeal. And, it, and, and, it was, and we were like, get off him. You know, get off him. But you know what happened? You guys don't know what happened. I'm the one telling the story. You know what happened? One day, he grew. Does anybody know what I'm talking about now? You want to guess what's going to happen? What's, what's the rest of the story? It reversed. He was a little bigger now. So, you know, yeah, he pushed her down, and then he sat on her. He remembered all the things that was done to him as a younger sibling. Some of you guys have stories you do not want to confess at this moment. But the reality is what? Here, this is what's weird, ready? Uh, the sin that dwells within us. I mean, I didn't have to teach my son to do that. And what's even more weird is we cheered him on. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. How pathetic is, am I as a parent? I'm like, don't you, you know, she, my beautiful little Kelsey, she's the most precious thing in the world. But she was mean. And we're like, yeah, get her. You know, yeah. I mean, is that right? Is that right? That is not right. <laughs> Dysfunctional dad, Jacob. I, Jacob and Earl, that goes together well, doesn't it? But see, it's this, this spirit of vengeance that, ha, that we have. We must bring justice. We must have, we must make it right. We must, uh, we must. Do you guys with me on that? We must. I, you hurt me. You betrayed me. I'm gonna pay you back. But more than that, I'm paying you back with interest. It's not good enough just to get even. It's not. Question right now. The bros, his bros, are there in front of him, bowing down before him, and he remembered, remember that? He remembered the dream. He went into his castle and stomped around for three days. 
I have to believe he was wrestling in the flesh, going, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to sit on him. You know, whatever. I'm going to build a, a castle. On, I'm going to build a pyramid on him. I'm going to have him tortured. I mean, I mean, all the things you could do. But then he had a problem. Do you know what the problem was? He was owned. Who knows what I mean by owned? He was owned by the Lord. He's owned by the Lord. Look at what it says. Slide, slide, uh, slide, verse 18 says this. It says, on the third day he came out and he said this, do this and you'll live for I fear God. Looked up the Greek on that, God. Uh, you guys understand God, the term God can come in a lot of different forms from Yahweh, whatever. It's Elohim. I fear, he spoke Hebrew. For I fear Elohim. In that moment, what do you think, what do you think is going through those dudes' mind? Probably a little bit of a grasp of relief. Like, he fears the same God we fear, or we have some kind of association, or there's some kind of hope. Because uh, under an Egyptian Ra, sun god, Ra, many different forms of God, uh, more, many different deities and beliefs, maybe there's some hope. And he said, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Notice the difference between right here. It says, let one of you stay. Earlier, before he went into the castle, he said this, I'm gonna test you. I'm gonna send one of you back and all of you are going into prison. And it switched. In that wrestling I'm sure he was going like this. I'm keeping all of you, and I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to chain you to the pole like they did to me. I'm going to send one of you back, and I'm going to see if it's true. And, and as he wrestled with the Lord, he came up with, you know what? I'm going to send one back. I'm going to send all of you back. I'm going to keep one. It's interesting that he took Simon. I thought to myself, I wonder what Simon did. Reuben was there. He let Reuben grow. Reuben had been on his defense. Simon, was he the one that took the coins? Was he the, the leader of the, the rest of the pack saying, we're gonna do this? I got a good idea, I don't know. Because I fear Elohim, why did Joseph fear God? Interesting question. He knew his favor. Can I, can I uh, help you guys with something? If there's one thing that I would, there's a couple things that I would wish. One, that you would know him. That is such a deep desire in my heart for you. That you would actually know him and that he would know your name. And in the pro and once you get past that step number one, you go to the next step, that you would fear him. He is both a father and a friend, a friend that will walk next to you, but a father that what? That will discipline those he loves. Here's, it says uh, it, one thing, why did, why did Joseph fear God? I wrote, I wrote this, I wrote, because he had experienced his favor. Second Chronicles 16, nine, for the Lord looks over the entire earth and looks to give strong support to those who stand blameless before him. Can you imagine if God and his hand was upon you? I figured this out in life. Uh, you can be the smartest dude or dudette in the world. You can have all the degrees in the world. You can think, every, you think you're just awesome. But if God's hand's against you, you have no hope. On the flip side, you can have nothing. You could be from East Tennessee that your greatest aspiration was working in a battery factory. And if God's hand is upon you, nothing is impossible. That's what I know. And so I, I know that he'd experienced God's favor. He'd experienced his power. He knew him personally. Even in the battle, he had peace in the process. Why should we fear God? There's over 300 references, both positive and negative, associated with this. I'm going to touch a few of them. Why? 
The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord disciplines those he loves. I don't know about you guys, but if you ever got a good whooping like I grew up, when I grew up in Tennessee, my dad gave me a good spanking when I needed it. When you get whooped, you don't want it again. And when you're walking with the Lord and you step out of line and he corrects you, I don't want it again. I fear him. I know the, he, he will whoop me. I'm positive of that. Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We got to be cautious regarding that as we wrestle in the spirit. Here's the big question. Do you fear God more than you love vengeance? That's a big question. Do you fear God more than you love vengeance? So often, the truth is, it's only known inside of you. It's the things that no one else knows. The bitterness that you harbor and the, the words that you speak and the, 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 you know what I'm talking about? In the darkness. Do you fear God more than you love vengeance, that you entrust them to him? Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brothers. Notice that. He said, we are guilty. And they saw the distress of their souls when he begged us. We did not listen. That is why the distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I, not tell, excuse me, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them. For there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away and wept. And I thought to myself, I wonder why he wept. I wonder why he wept. Why did he weep? I wrote, I'm guessing his anger was a bit softened. When someone, you're right, we were wrong in that. We are guilty. It says, I mean, straight up. They looked at, the bros are standing around. They're like, they said to one another, we are guilty. The first step in reconciliation, I mean, if you're, the first step in walking in relationship is to own your wrong, straight up. No other way. We'll keep quickly going through the verse because we're out of time. And he returned to them and spoke to them and he took Simon from them and bound them before his eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in a sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. You need to read the rest of the chapter to understand. He goes back home and he retells the story. And his dad, Jacob's pretty upset about the deal. And I'm not sending Benjamin. No way. We'll get into next week's chapter later on. Can I just address one issue, though? I think it's one thing to be betrayed by man. Lied to, stolen from, friends talk behind your back. Lot, you know, there's just a list of things that could happen to the feeling of hurt. You guys with me on that deal? But how about the feeling of God betraying you? See, I share Jesus with a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people. And so often there's certain things that keep people from knowing him and submitting their life. Number one, hypocrisy. We ought to be cautious of that as brothers and sisters in Christ. We honor and we serve one and we follow one everywhere we go. It's not like you have like rows on your back for the bulls or something like that. You don't have that on your back. You got the word Christian on your back. And you know another big one? God, I just don't understand. Why'd you let that happen to me? See, I grew up, when I grew up in East Tennessee, literally, uh, I, I had an awesome childhood on a farm. And I had, we had, there was four of us, my brother and I, and then Patrick and Zachy. So um, John, my brother, 
Patrick and Zach, and we were literally, you could have wrote the movie about us, Stand By Me. We were best buddies of all time. Uh, we went all the way through Boy Scouts together, uh, through high school together, played sports together. We all four worked at the Exxon station together. Imagine four guys running the Exxon station. Midnight shifts, all of the above. Pumping gas, doing the books. We all worked together. My brother, when he was a senior in high school, got cancer. And as he was dying, he was leading me to Christ. He said, when I die, I don't want you to be mad at God because he has a purpose in this. Six months later, Patrick, my buddy, and then Zachy, his brother, Zachy, he worked at the Exxon station. He put a, I had a 68 Mustang that in my first car that I restored. He had a Monte Carlo and he put a big old engine in it. He forgot to tighten down the lug nuts on the front left wheel. So the lug nuts came flying off when he was testing out the engine going 80 miles an hour. And it went flying off the, off the road and he died. And only Patrick and I was, were alive, were left. Two things happened. To me, I had an option. God, why did you let this difficult thing happen to me? I feel betrayed by you and angry with the Lord. My bro, I'm literally, I'm, uh, literally, my brother, when we were playing Nintendo and he's skin and bones from a football player with muscles everywhere, his favorite hobby was beating people up. I mean, that was his deal, okay? Play, playing sports like crazy, wrestling, football, baseball, that was his deal. And, uh, and here he is, nothing. Every part of his body that you could still live and still, and still be alive cut out of him. And he was just skin and bones, and he pauses in the tendo, and he's walking through. Hey, listen, when I die, I don't want you to be mad at God. And so when I gave my life to Jesus, I completely surrendered it under his authority. I do not understand, but I don't need to understand. You are Lord. I am not. You are God. I am not. I did not choose the day of my birth. Therefore, I will not choose the day of my death. And my brother understood that. Patrick, my bro, he went the opposite. He became angry at God feeling betrayed by God. Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let my brother die? You guys know what I'm talking about? Let me close with a few thoughts. They ready? The big question, is life about God in your story? Or is it about you and his story? Have you thought of that for a moment? As time has progressed from the beginning of time, why is it you were born today? born now within this season? Is, it, is really this whole God thing about him in your story? Or you in his story? Hmm. So what? What do you do with the hurt of betrayal? Well, I guess you could stuff it and rename all your kids Manasseh like Joseph did. I probably wouldn't do that, but you could. Let me give you three suggestions. I, number one, realign yourself under God. To realign yourself is, do you guys know what I'm talking about? The wrestle of the flesh and the spirit. You are going to consistently have to choose to humble yourself and to be underneath him and realign yourself. You are Lord and I am not. I don't always understand. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, I don't quite get that one, but I will. Forgive as I have forgiven you, I will. Realign. Release. Release your rights to even the score. Isn't that true? Release your rights to even the score. Isn't that God's job? Straight up. This is where our faith intersects with reality. Release your rights to even the score. Forgive the person that has wronged you and trust them to the Lord. And finally, rest in him. Rest. See, this is where the resting part comes. When you release 
My life is not my own. You are my defender. I do not own this. This is your problem, not mine, God. I release. And that brings you to a point of rest to where you can walk through. You've got a couple of responsibilities. You with me on the responsibility? Here it is. Walk in holiness. Our responsibility is to walk in holiness. Even if you looked at Joseph's life, notice one little single verse way back over here. It's, uh, I gotta find it. Oh yeah, right here, 39. Chapter 39, in the very last, oh no, 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 that last verse, verse six, very interesting, he said this. He said, Potiphar put him in charge of everything and he had no concerns about anything but the food he ate. I thought that was interesting, but the food he ate, what's that talking about? Because he was underneath Yahweh. In other words, he obeyed his law. When he said, hey, would you like a pulled pork sandwich? He's like, no way, man, that's not, that's not happening. It's just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the fire, just like the, like the song was talking about. You with me? They said, I will not bow my knee to a false god. I will not deny the Lord. Our job is to walk in holiness because as we trust him, we can also trust that he will do his part. Does that make sense? All right, let's pause and pray. And then we're going to take communion together and worship him. All right, Father, we do bow our knee underneath you. I don't get it. I don't understand. I just don't understand. I want to hurt back. But you are the Lord. Vengeance is yours. Vengeance is yours. I don't know very much. I just don't. I just know you're awesome. That's all I know. I know you're awesome. I know you're faithful. You're never wavering. You're patient and long-suffering. So we bow our knee and we realign ourselves underneath you because you are the Lord. We love you in Jesus' name.